This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cammy here. Oh, boy. Today's podcast guest is um, recording artist Big Dipper, who is somebody I've known for a really long time, and it's so fucking cute and awesome to see um, see Big Dips getting some credit out there in the world, and I love it. Also, do you want to support this show and make sure that it continues to happen? You can go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros. More people support the show every month. Every time I mention it, somebody supports the show. It's a whole thing, and we really, really appreciate it. Enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Yay. Look at that. Hi. Hi. Nice to see I you again. Have, uh... Yeah, it's good to see you too. <laughs> I, we ran into each other in the airport like uh, moments ago. I know. Um, I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure. Just right now. Yeah, we're gonna go. We're okay. Gonna go. And do you like a theatrical introduction? I mean, this is what's kind of cute is to like see where people come up with. Yeah, I like that. That's where your mind already went. It's the humility Far test. Be it <laughs> from me to fucking limit whatever you're gonna bring to the table. Okay. Uh, Please. Coming to the stage, the eighth <laughs> wonder of the world. This is what you're looking for, correct? Yeah. Uh, recording artist, uh, music video director, wannabe comedian, podcast producer. It's Big Dipper. Yay. <laughs> I felt like I was supposed to, but I. <laughs> well, I amped I mean, it that, up. You know, Thank yeah. you. That's you what did, I was looking for. That was great. You did great. Thanks. We've known each other for a long time. Yeah. In like a peripheral way, I feel like we've been seeing what each other have been up to for like at least fift- like 15 years. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing you do, you were running the open mic. It wasn't, you know, you weren't getting up for the open mic, but you were running it at Kohl's in Chicago. Yeah, yeah I remember, totally. I mean, seeing that, seeing you. I mean, so many places we interacted and weird places because in Chicago, comedy happens at like upstairs lofts and bookshops and, totally. you know, the front of a cafe. And at that time, you had a human person name, not a, not yet like a <laughs> musician name. Yes. And you were, you were like. What was I? Man. Oh, you were man. My first, what I first. Oh, my you as, God. You were managing. The money <laughs> Which, kids. like, this didn't even mean anything. Because I just it, mean, like, we were in Chicago. We were, like, 20. I don't even know what that meant. But that's when I first met you, is that you were managing the Money Kids, which was a sketch group <laughs> that was made up of people I still know. Lauren Lapkus, who's, like, a super successful comedian who's, like, you know, been in Jurassic Park movies and shit. And yes. um, then also Candy Lawrence, who yes. is a hilarious comic that... Is I that I still know and is like I mean I still know both of them and now everyone's I, I go out and in I LA. do bar method with Lauren Le- with Lauren and I and Candy's really good friends with my wife so I mean I don't know 
We just don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. That is um, so crazy. The thought, okay, that was like really my hustle because I got, like, I left college and I came back to Chicago, which is, you know, I was born and raised in Evanston. So that was sort of the scene I was from. And Lauren is a friend of mine from middle school. And she had, you know, she really, she had everyone talking in our little suburban town because she started taking classes at I.O. when she was like 17 or 18. And we're like, you're in high school and you're going to Which is like a comedy theater. Or what? Does it, it does not exist anymore? This or I does? No. I can't remember. Anyway, keep going. I don't know that keep people going. are excited to pay a rent check to do some improv classes anymore. It used totally. to be, right. it, you know, sort of like the Lululemon bubble. Like, when will that bust? Just like the improv bubble. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. Okay, keep going. So, um, yeah, I got back to town. She was this, like, improv rising star. And, yes. you know, she was 20, 21 and doing improv with, like, 40-year-olds and, like, doing, like, legit-ass gigs. And she showed me some of her sketches, and it's just like me to have a note. Like, it is so me to just be like, I think what you guys are doing is amazing, but here's my thought. And I basically inserted myself as their manager, and all that meant is I would, like, cue their music and, like, carry their props for them. But it it gave me quick access to a world that I had only been a spectator in, and I was able to, like, go see shows and go backstage, and I saw so many performance spaces that I wasn't aware of, like fresh out of college, I was able to sort of see a lot of that sort of comedy scene in Chicago through God, that. That's that's really funny. And their yes. response was always like, we don't want to make it tighter. We don't want the jokes to always be the same because then it's not fun for us. And I was like, but I think it might make your sketch better. And they're like, well, we're just doing this for fun. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I remember that. I remember that time. And it, I mean, this, this is like not going to be, I don't think this will be funny to anybody else that isn't us, but it is funny that you were the manager only because like in Chicago at that time, there was no um, industry. This is a little different now because like the internet changed everything, but there Mm -hmm. wasn't, there wasn't like a, nobody was shooting shows there. There wasn't like a film industry. Nobody was like making movies there. Or it was very, very infrequent. And if it was, it was like a big production that came to town and then like Macaulay Culkin was in the movie or something like that. Right. You know, so it wasn't like you kind of you there wasn't really an expectation that anything would happen outside of live performance. So I say that because like I, you know, that that was my experience as a, you know, young person in that scene. And then that was yours. And and you're also now your own thing and mm-hmm. i'm just curious about like when that switched over for you like especially because i don't even know that i had any expectation that anybody could be anything like what you were just saying about lauren and candy being like we're just doing that for fun this for fun that makes sense to me because it's like what's the alternative that you're gonna there, make money doing it yeah it what are you talking like, about there's no money to make like so it's right like, of course we're just doing it for fun now I think yes, it's exactly like the the entertainment capitalism pipeline is so apparent because of social media. People go, well, if I yeah. do a skit, I can go viral, I can get a brand deal, I can buy a house. Like that's literally what people think about now. Versus totally. then it was like we're smoking a lot of weed, and Candy and Lauren are like, so in this sketch, I'm an actual ghost with a sheet on my head, and I'm <laughs> the dad, and I'm ghost dad. Like the Bill Cosby film. And I was like, this is not a sketch that anyone cares about. And they would pee their pants laughing at it. 
Like they were very funny. So they completely. So, but yes, there was never, I was always like, Oh, we could take it here. We could do that. So when I first started making music and when I adopted my stage name, it was again, it was all for the love of it. It was all for what can I do in live performance? What sort of opportunities, you know, can I do what big show at the, you know, Metro or Salonathon or whatever can I prepare for to make a splash for my friends who are also in this like queer underground performance scene in Chicago. That was the goal. And I remember I just put out a music video today. So my head is very scattered because on music video day, it feels, you know, like you set the baby out into the world and you're like, I hope people like it. Is this how you, is this, because I don't really know, because you're also, so there's like a couple things going on. You're like in a specific niche, which is yes. you, you, you are meaning to appeal to a queer audience. And like, just specifically, yes. I, also like, a, I think probably especially like a gay male audience, but like a yes. queer audience in general. And I, I literally also know this because, you know, I see like posters of you when I'm at, we, tra- we both travel a lot for work. Yes. So I know where you are and what you're doing, weirdly. Yeah. <laughs> Not just from like the internet, but from like seeing. Literally you know, bumping gonna, like, into you at the airport yeah, bumping in Austin. Yeah, o- bumping into each other ago. in the airport in Austin. But, um, you know, you do a lot of like DJing. Mm-hmm parties that are like for gay dudes or like you'll be there for a pride event and so like somebody the bar or like a sponsor is paying you to come in and be the entertainment you're going to do some music or you're going to dj but i don't think i understand how this like system works because it's also it's like drag queens also exist in this world of like putting out tracks but it's not like the traditional music industry so when you're talking about a video i don't it's like you're hoping to make um a big impact in terms of like getting eyeballs. Yeah. But this is different than like if if you were just like in a sort of larger unfocused music industry. This yeah. is like a if, different if, thing. If I was on a label, there would be a machine behind it. And that machine has marketing dollars and brand deals. And it's when you watch a music video and you're like, nah, I think I want a Pepsi now. Cause like all of a sudden you actually saw eight <laughs> logo Pepsi logos right. in the video. Right. Like those things don't exist for me. I've approached brands in the past and said, like, this is my song. This is the concept. This is how it works perfectly. I don't need that much money. I'm really frugal when I make. And they're just like, no, you know. So for me, my system is I make songs because I'm excited and interested to make those songs. I have an idea. I work with a producer. We come up with a great song. And then when the video idea presents itself, you know, whatever that may be, it's a very expensive labor of love calling card to book a live show. There we go. That's where, you know, it's it's similar to like hustling to get someone to produce a special or of 10 minutes or a whatever. And then the more people see you, then where you can actually make your money is at the live shows. And for me, again, this all started on a whim. Like I made my first... I made my first music video, you know, whatever, 12 years ago. We did a Kickstarter for it. That was like back before kicks. Like I raised $800 to make my first music video. <laughs> I like remember this because this. who was, there is like a white dude, a skinny mm-hmm. white dude. What Dan is this Foley. person's number no. one? No, that is a skinny white dude that I okay. also know. But like that was doing, the, I'm just trying to think of like the first time I saw somebody that was like a gay guy, mm. like, 
it was releasing. Oh my god, I'm gonna come up with his name. I can. I. I. Is it Caswell? Is that it's Caswell? Yeah, it's Caswell's fucking Caswell. He yes. was making music in. Well, so this is this is a this is a really sort of interesting conversation that a lot of people who have like you know overlapping identities and whatever make internet content. There's a conversation about is like there have been queer rappers and queer musicians, obviously forever. But like, yes, you know, when you talk about hip hop and rap, that is a relatively young musical genre. Like at this point, fifty years old, right? And since the beginning of time or since the beginning of rap music, like, there have been gay rappers. There just hasn't been, like, a platform for them. And so, in a very sort of, like, because of the world we live in and the white privilege and and this idea, the people who have gotten the most shine initially in that scene, like, Caswell is a person who's been doing this for a long time, and when you said gay rapper, Caswell came to mind, even though there were obviously many, many rappers who were not white, who were, you know, doing things in a more authentic way. Totally. Um, and I'm al- I'm also just mentioning him because for me, that was like my first exposure to like this is in a pre-drag race world and in an early baby internet world where like mm-hmm. that was the first time I saw somebody releasing a music video to go with their track. And it was like it was like well produced, but I, I knew it was I knew it was on a sh- shoestring budget compared to like whatever like Rihanna's putting out. But but right. it like, looked amazing because we yeah. like, had that technology for the first time and it felt like. Like, you're right. It's not the beginning of this. um, He's not like the first person in this genre. But for me, it was my first exposure to like watching something that felt sexy and fun and, you know, MTV-esque at a time when that would have been relevant. Oh, Um, totally. And it was queer. Like, I just hadn't seen that before him. And he started in a time when, and I did this too for my first couple music videos, I was burning DVD copies and walking them around to bars because bars would have, they weren't streaming playlists off of YouTube for the the visual content. Oh my God. You would, you're talking about the screens in a gay bar that are playing like, because where else would you play the music? So you're delivering a DVD that then they're going to play your, that is, I fucking love that that is true. Thank you for telling me that. I love that that that's true. And I was right on that precipice. And you talked about like drag race as well. You know, when I first started making music, it was around season four or five of drag race. And there were enough queens from TV that they would be booked around at big cities, you know, Chicago, LA, New York, whatever. But there weren't so many queens that there was a drag race queen at every bar every night of the week. Mm -hmm. And so people got, people had uh, retreated away from the gay bars because of Grindr, because of the apps. They stopped going out as much and everyone was at home being on the apps. So when Drag Race happened, these, these queens started touring more to the gay clubs and the gay club got used to having live entertainment. But there was, there were only so many queens to go around. So I was able to swoop in as a queer entertainer and like be on a bill with drag queens and sort of be my own entity. There, there was this guy who toured around all the time named Samwell. He had a song that went kind of viral on YouTube, YouTube called What What in the Butt. I, I remember this very clearly. I remember yeah. having hour-long conversations with the guy who was like Samwell's manager about like how we were going to take over the music industry and shit like that. <laughs> And now we're at this weird point where, like, there are so many queer 
um, independent artists and now mainstream queer artists who are right. do you know making appearances on Jimmy Fallon and headlining at you know Lollapalooza right. and going to Coachella, and there are also a hundred and fifty famous drag queens from television. So now it's this weird thing where it's back to the niche that I was in initially when I first That's started. That's so interesting. Well, okay, but there's also another thing going on, which is that, you know, yes, I mean, we live in a... I mean, it's incredible that, like, Lil Nas X exists. Completely. And also, I love his music. Like, I, yeah. I listen to his music. And so, like, it's great. It's it's wonderful when you're like, I'm so glad this person exists. And I also listen to him. Yeah. Um. So, like, that is true. And, uh... Oh my God! What is the name of the person who sings like material material? Oh, Saucy rural. Santana. Yeah, Saucy Santana. Oh yeah, also exists, and like that to me is really nice too because like there's like some true like gender fuckage going mm-hmm. on. This is a person of size. This is like not somebody um, with a Lil Nas X bod, right? And I think I just want to mention that. Okay, go ahead. Come. Lil Nas okay, X didn't dupe us but became historic in the music industry without being out and then came out after. And again, I don't want to say it was like a maniacal plan or, you know, like whatever. It was like, he's a young person like making his way in the world. And I would understand the fear and trepidation of becoming the number one artist in the world for like, you know, months on end and being like, what do I do? So the cool thing that I love about Saucy Santana is, like, that has been the journey from the beginning. I mean, like, Saucy was the makeup artist for the City Girls and, like, went viral with a couple songs and leveraged TikTok. And now Madonna's on a remix and the song is on the charts and performing on Jimmy Fallon and a record deal. And, like, all of this stuff is so amazing. Yeah, it is. And, I mean, obviously also you know, one kind of needs the other in order for, like, that door to be open, right? Yes. Like if, you know, so it's, it's, it's rad. So there's another thing going on that I want to mention for you, which is, like, that in terms of people making music, mm-hmm. like, Let's just talk about rappers in general, but then also like queer rappers. You, I mean, do you identify as a bear? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember. Or do you not use that terminology? I definitely do. And I play bear events and I was just on the phone with someone about like, you know, basically being the host of a bear week, you know, next summer. And, you know, I totally identify as a bear. I think I identify as a queer person and as an artist more Mm. than I identify as a bear. There are people who identify as a bear. They have the bear flag tattoo. They only want to attend bear events. They only feel comfortable in bear spaces. Like, I feel a little on edge in bear spaces because... It's kind of weird to be in a room full of doppelgangers. It's also kind of weird to be in a room where you kind of know that maybe people know who you are and might be watching you. Like, sure. And I know that feel that I know that to be more true in a bear space than any other type of space. So I enjoy going to bear parties. I enjoy fucking bears. Like I'm like that 
all makes sense to me, but I feel like I, you know, identify more as a queer person and as, you know, a creative person and an artist than I do in that bear scene. Word. But I well, adopted I'm- it because Elliot Glazer used to write for Vulture back in the day. And the first headline I ever got on my first music video was a gay bear Nicki Minaj. That was like the, the <laughs> headline when they posted my music video. And I was like, I'm holding on to that. Thank you, Elliot. You you <laughs> dubbed me that. Well, well, you certainly do have things going on like body hair. Oh. And also <laughs> you show and your size. And you and you and you show your bod and you're and you do have some size going on in your like what is that called? Like a singlet? You were like like you were like a singlet sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it's a singlet. Sometimes it's a a, a more um, it's like a like a elevated singlet or uh-huh. more high you know a custom piece that is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And- I don't mean to. When I say singlet, I'm talking about the best singlet we can all imagine. Sure, um, I do wear off the rack singlets as well, though. <laughs> Just to be clear, or like a crop top, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I think. Well, I've seen a lot of I'm thinking about like in the 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 body type that you have, I have yes. seen it displayed in comedy circles. Like for instance, there's yes. a comic Burt Kreischer. He never wears a shirt. It's his whole thing. He and has like he not very also, much trust hair, but he has like a you know, he has like a stomach, you know, yeah. and and I don't know that we're supposed to think it's sexy. Like, I think that we're supposed to The way of, he's doing it? Yeah, I think we're sort of, sort of to, supposed to maybe be disarmed by his confidence. I think that's true. Like, I don't think he's... But I also think that he's, in a way, undercutting himself a little bit. Like, I, and, I, and I have felt this, and it's not... I mean, we could use him or, like, any other example. Literally, like, Will Ferrell has done... There's a zillion people mm-hmm. that I can name that have done... They're like a guy who doesn't have like Zach Efron's body mm-hmm. in terms of hairlessness and like muscle tone. And the shirtlessness is meant to be both like admired, but also laughed at, I think. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because that guy um, gets shared often like on gay social media as very sexy. And- what? Are you serious? Bert? Because I don't think that that... I don't know that he knows that. Well, he's, like, doing, like, a Comedy Central set, and he's just shirtless, and he's, like, talking... Yeah, people are, like, oh, God. You know, like, people, like, bears are always, like, reposting about him. And he has a podcast where... Don't they refer to it as, like, the bear cave or two bears or something? He's adopted this term, bear. I believe. I don't even... I don't actually know if that... I don't... I'm sure you're right. But, um... (laughs) As a bear. I mean, he he's I, I have he's only ever been nice to me. Sure. So I don't have like a uh it's more so just that the reason I'm con- contextualizing this is because I am trying to think of like other examples in the straight world. I mean, I know that mm-hmm. exists in queerness, but like not necessarily maybe in music videos, but I'm trying to think of even any examples of like somebody who's got like a body type like you have and then they're dancing. It's like supposed to be sexy. Like it's like, well, yeah, I don't, I don't think it does. Like I, I think, uh, I think Lizzo is doing, that's what I was, I was just going to say, it's like what Lizzo's doing. She's doing Um, amazing things, but obviously, you know, like 
like the only things similar about our bodies are, are we are both big, but like we're 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 hitting different elements of like the human form. And so I, I know for me, when I first started, there was a little bit of I'm gonna do a shock factor by stripping down to a thong. Then I actually tapped into like a power I had never felt because I never felt sexually confident and never felt confident about my body until I started doing that on stage and getting the reaction. I was really a late bloomer when it came to being sexually active. I was really nervous about my body hair and about my size. And I was just like, who would ever find this attractive? You know, we're somewhat similar in age. And I like, to me, punchlines on sitcoms about a blind date, it was always, oh, he had back hair. Oh, he was chubby. Oh, he, it was like, if you didn't yep. look like an Abercrombie model as a gay man, no one would fuck you. You know what I mean? And like, yep. that was sort of the narrative. So I had such so low self-esteem about that when I found like um, power in taking my clothes off, like, at Berlin nightclub or at Salonathon or when I was dancing with Donnell and Jessica for double DJ. And like all of those things allowed me to like tap into this power. I was like, oh, I got to do this because. Oh my God, I forgot. About keep going, keep going. Why, why feel, <laughs> why feel nervous and self-conscious when I'm making music? I'm, I'm chasing a fucking pipe dream. So I might as well just do what I want to do when I'm doing it. And I wanted to dance like Britney Spears. I wanted to stage my shows like pop shows. I wanted to do what I saw, but never saw on a body like mine. And so again, it initially was really selfish. It was about tapping into a feeling that I liked and living out a fantasy. And it never felt like, oh, I'm doing this for all the other chubby people out there who want their butt. You know, like it wasn't ever a political mission. Um, But I think that is the difference for people who have never seen me before. When I perform and I take off my clothes and I'm not going, wow, look at, you know, look at this jiggle and look at this. It's like, wow, you like this jiggle. Yeah, you like the shape of my belly. I mean, I have lyrics that say, um, uh, 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 now I forget the numbers. 48, 54, 50. I don't know. Whatever my body shape numbers are. (laughs) Thicker, thick, thickest, I'm big, you can't miss me. Every inch, beautiful, my flute, fully tunable. Um, and, you know, <laughs> just, the, just the idea that, yes, this is my body size. This, you know, and I'm saying that I know that people find me attractive. And so I think saying that on a stage, people get really sort of shocked by it. And it isn't undercutting, like you were saying. It's not going laugh at this, I'm the butt of the joke, it's going, whoa, I wasn't expecting that, and good for him. Yeah, you know, I I think, I mean, this is something I think about a lot um, because of the job I chose and then, you know, being so far, like being multiple decades into this career. And and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, so like, sorry to listeners, but, you know, (laughs) this year, this last year was the first time I got a dramatic role in television. Like, I'm on this ABC drama. And the character that I play is like another character's pursuing this character. Mm-hmm. Like I like as opposed to me 
being in pursuit, I am pursued. And it like blew my mind doing this work. You know, I, I mean, I was like really spiritually affected by it because I, I mean, I guess the character's funny. Like I like say some things in a funny way, but it's, but the character's also like tender and it's a drama. Like there's like, like everybody's constantly like going to the hospital and <laughs> terrible things are happening. Oh, and so, you know, there are moments where like my character's also supposed to be sensitive or just a lot of things that I am in real life that I have not seen on television or like gotten to do on TV. Like, I just feel like I am always trying to be like a bad boy because that's how I will convince people that like my masculinity is okay. Like I can't be, I can't be like soft and also masculine person. Otherwise like something's fucked up about that. Or I can't be like, um, I can't, you know, wear makeup, but also like wear a suit because something's fucked up about that. So like, I have to be like, you know, just hard. I think that's what right. I thought I had to be is just like hard and tough and, um, and in pursuit. And it's, it's wild the way that making art, I think for folks who are from marginalized communities, like sometimes we're making art that we never got a chance to see. Right. And so even though, you know, you're not actually inventing something brand new, it does feel like a whole new experience. You're like, do people know about this? Like, can I do this? And this I'm curious, has, has playing that character and being the one being pursued, has that, changed anything like in your marriage are you like actually do this or do this or <laughs> i want to try it this way a, you know like come well that's come, such a good i don't know be on the couch with me instead of the other way around i don't know yeah i mean in my that's i mean that's such a good question in my like personal life um i mean i am like i mean this is so, <laughs> this is so i am definitely like a top right yeah but i also am verse i'm yeah. versatile so i and I'm very um, squishy. And like, I love to be, um, I'm, my love language is physical touch. I love to be hugged. Yeah. I can get really small. Like, I think I like that I have some different sides to who I am. And in my, I guess what I'm saying is my wife already knew this. Of it's like kind of the rest of the world is catching up. Got and it. so I think it has changed some things in my marriage only in that like I've gotten to share with her how nice it is to, you know, to bring this outside of my household or outside of like my, my friends also know this about me, you know, but it's like, it's that, it's that like circles going out thing where it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, who are your closest people? Then who are the people here? Who are the people here? And like how, you know, so like, what does somebody on an airplane think of me? What do you think of me? You know, you, you and I have known each other for a long time, but like, it's not like we are, um, married to each other in an intimate mm-hmm. relationship. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I think that's what it feels like it's changing is the sort of outward facing stuff yeah. and like what I can own there and feel comfortable owning there. It's so interesting how, like, you know, you've been putting things out publicly. You've been a public person for, you know, we both have for a long time. And it's so interesting how like you can be like, oh, this is totally a side of me, but no one knows it. And so it feels very regular and feels very like, oh, yeah, I guess I haven't ever mentioned that I, like, 
love to make frittatas, you know, on the hundreds of pod- <laughs> on the hundreds of podcast episodes that I've recorded. And then when you do, it's like frittata nation comes out of nowhere and goes like, you're you're an egg person. We are too. <laughs> you know, it is so, so interesting when you feel like the world knows everything about. You. I mean, that's how I feel. I host a podcast called Sloppy Seconds. We do two episodes a week. We've been on the air for you know. It's like we're coming up on three hundred episodes. I'm like, do I have anything new to say? But yes, the answer is yes. I want to ask you, okay, so this is perfect for the next thing. Because, okay. so y- you also, this is this is such a good transition. So it's like, we're talking about all this stuff, you owning your power, and and then we're talking about, here's here's what I'm getting to. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I'm not, a, I'm not like a cis gay dude. So this is all just like out, this is, this is a projection of understanding. Project. I'm totally wrong. But, um, you know, to be somebody that, so like you. You're you you could be like a fetishized type. Yes. 100%. In the gay dude community. But then also, like you're saying, if you're also a recognizable person who's who's perhaps a very public example of that fetishized type, mm-hmm. has that fucked with your mind at all? Because I don't, you know, there's there's some layers there in terms of like wanting to be you know, no, at least for me, I will say, you know, I want people to really I do not need an audience to know me, but like I want my friends to know me. Yeah. I, I mean, in the real way. But I think sex complicates things too. Talk to me a little bit about this. Well, you know, my character, which initially when I started, you know, recording music and videos and performing as Big Dipper, it was a character and it was like a problematic and weird sort of like projection of what a rapper was meant to be in very internet culture. And it's sort of like two years after I was really doing it. And I was like, oh, I'm playing shows. and So I was like, everything about that facade dropped away. And now it's just a stage name. And I feel like I'm really authentically myself. But when I write music, I mean, it is sexually charged, it is graphic, and it is, like, quite, like, I'm gonna change your life with the way we're gonna fuck. Like, that's sort of, like, always the theme of the music. So sometimes when I meet people, and I'm like, I've had a long day, I just wanna have a quickie, or, like, (laughs) can I just suck your dick and that's it? Or, like, whatever, you know, whatever it may be, there is, if they have a knowledge of my performance self, like there is something in the back of my head where I'm like, I'm That's not so living funny. up to sort of like what I say the experience will be. And, that, and, you know, that's like one little thing. I also have had, of course, the experience of like, this was this was a super twisted experience. I get really, I finally am flying in a nicer seat on the airplane, I used to not fly in the nice seat. I used to fly the very back of the plane because I was so eager to play gigs. And I would, I'm big. And so I would often try to arrange a massage or something if I was doing multiple cities. And I reached out to this guy about getting a massage when I was coming through like North Carolina on my last leg of a tour. And he was like, great. Yeah. Come over, blah, blah, blah. He came over the massage, or I went to his house. The massage turned sexual. Then in the bed afterwards, he was like, my husband and I are so excited for your show. And I'm like, we went through so many steps where you could have said that you knew who I was. Oh, no. And so that has happened to me like 
uh, a few different times where it's like really they play dumb and then they reveal that they've been a fan of mine for a while, which again is like I don't outright say, "Hey, are you familiar with my work?" because I don't want it, in a personal sexual interaction like I don't want to talk about work. Wow. So that is at- complicated. <laughs> yes, and then like I said, like I like to fuck in the bear community. And then that's also where I perform a lot. So what I have found to be my most successful, and I am also like very, very single, have been very single, enjoy being single, enjoy having like a lot of casual sex. So I have found that the most success I have is sort of outside, like people who don't go out to clubs, people who are older and maybe don't look at the internet very much like that's where i find that's my sweet spot right there is that your is that your is that the do you sleep it's with exclusively in that community or is it like no it's changed a varies. lot because when i was younger with my confidence issue about my body i I may I am attracted to older men. Like if you're 50 or up, like that's not like a whoa, that's like a hey, you know, for me. <laughs> like I when I lived in New York, I fucked a guy in his 70s and I was in my late 20s. Like that doesn't that's not like a turnoff for me. And but when I was dealing with my like self-confidence issues, I think it fueled the attraction to older men because they were always, oh my God, you're 25. There was always this added bonus. And so I was like, anything that I'm lacking physically, I'm making up for it that I'm like young and into this older person. Right. So I think that's a weird, complicated thing that I have. That is (laughs) What about other body types? Oh, yeah. This that's been new for me, but it is so enjoyable. And now that I'm like, I'm pushing 40, now I am fascinated by like guys in their mid twenties, which when I was in my twenties, I was like, absolutely not. You have to be over 40. Like it was such a like no go zone. And now like I have fucked a twink or two, which is shocking to me. This is so interesting. (laughs) I feel there's like some jealousy that I feel around. I mean, it's not like we don't have like category. I think that there's something about like, okay, there's a part of gay dudes talking so openly about mm. like who they would sleep with and why that I think can be totally dehumanizing. Right. Like I've, I've heard this from my gay dude friends, especially if you fall outside of the categories, then it's like, like we, kind of what you were talking about earlier, you know, then that's so fucked, especially if it's something like uh, or along uh, like racial lines or something like that. Like that's something that I've heard from friends where it's just, oh, like, yeah. that's so dehumanizing. Right. But then the other side of that same coin is like folks being able to, you know, really articulate what they're interested in and then like having that be for a variety of reasons. And then what you're even talking about, it's like, when I was young, I'm interested in old guys. Now I'm older, I'm less interested in young guys. It's like, I think that's, I wish, I just wish, I wish we could just have a little bit more of that in my community because I feel like there's so much gentleness mm-hmm. in the like AFAB community that, um, I mean, I guess actually this is part of, you know, to go back to what I was saying earlier, it's like the larger world does not fetishize butch women or like gender fluid people. Like the larger world, a patriarchal society kind of throws me in the trash or I get to be the best friend. Right. So 
I feel like I know that there are people who do fetishize what's going mm-hmm. on for me, but that's not like an organized community. There is no week <laughs> to go to for that, right. you know? There is and no I, week, yes. I okay. wish there was a week. That's all I wish. Well, it's a big, I mean, that's a whole bigger conversation. Not only do you wish there was a week, you wish there were more than 19 brick and mortar, you know, Absolutely. lesbian bars in the country. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. It is so shocking to me how many, like, you know, AFAB, queer-identified women, like anything that is not a cis gay male under the queer umbrella there are in the world, and how the only, like, uh, like building and club establishments or like, <laughs> like gay dudes with six pack totally. abs. Like that's what we're looking for. It's still so pervasive. I know. I, I absolutely, I even think about it. Like sometimes on my social media, if somebody would be like, you caught in this picture. Sorry. I said that. <laughs> like, <laughs> You're like I'm like, I'm like, fucking it's bring compliment. it. Why do you think yeah. I post this picture? <laughs> yeah. This is a thirsty photo and I do look hot. <laughs> No apologies. Uh, <laughs> that is so wild. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, the 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 sexual evolution is really fascinating. Honestly, I mean, it's like, I think as queer people, we, like, love to empower ourselves because we don't see it anywhere else. And then it's also so easy. I mean, there's such, you know... You know, there there are so many jokes about, like, being an openly queer person and then also being homophobic because, like, our culture is just so eye-rolly at times. And there's something in the sex-positive community where it's, like, it feels like... Um, See, now I'm thinking about the internet listening to me talk about this. It feels like milk. Like, it feels like it can walk that line where, like, oh, it's spoiled. Like, if you go too far, it just feels like, why are you doing that? Do you have a sex addiction? And I have felt this, like, in my, like, most slutty summer sex positive. Like, I'm just, it's like, don't you want to take a break and just, like, eat dinner and have a movie one night? And so I think there's, like, I think what happens is like, yes, there's a freedom. Yes, there's an empowerment. Yes, there's a thing. But also, it feels like, well, I'm working against the idea of getting married or having kids or doing sort of what the rest of culture is doing. So I'm going to go so hard. I'm like, well, I know for me personally, I've seen both sides of it. I've had like an enjoyable weekend at a sex party, followed by the the next morning with like a fuck buddy, and then like an evening tryst where I like meet someone in the parking lot of a Home Depot. Like, kid you not, right? And then, you know, the following week, I don't want to do any of that because I feel like, what did I just do? I just like gave myself away to so many people. And yeah, it, it can be very complicated and fluid and like gray area. And, you know, I don't know. I feel like something that I would say to that is maybe what we're both talking about is like just wanting a little bit of moderation. Yes. I mean, <laughs> Around that's anything. It. Like that's, that's, I think that's what kind of what we're talking about. And actually, I wanted to ask you this because I'm realizing as you're talking, like, I think it's just because I've like, I've literally never thought about this before because I just feel like I've like known you or known of you for so long. But I was realizing as you're speaking that like you also are somebody who both is like exists within like a specific type in the queer community, but then also are you sometimes not read as queer? Like you're like oh, yeah. you're just walking through the world. People like strangers, like anytime I have like if I have to enter, like we just had like work done at the uh, apartment complex where I live, and it's like people ask me about my wife 
all the time. And what's funny is that like my internal monologue is I'm 14 years old and I'm the gayest person you'll ever see in your entire life. Like that's how I feel walking around the world. So, and then I'm a 300 pound bearded, huge dude. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I literally, I find myself, this happened a lot more when I was living in New York than in LA. But like, if I was on the street at night and there was someone who like, I could tell looked back at me twice out of like fear, I would like pretend to be on a phone call and be like, yes, girl, blah, 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 blah. Like really trying to like code out to the world that I am not a threat. That is so interesting. internally, I, I feel like a little kid who's like scared to be gay I mean, I'm right. not scared to be gay, but like that feeling of like middle school. But I know out in the world, I don't present that way. I mean, that's I just was that's what I was thinking about when you were talking about anonymous sex. I was also thinking about, you know, like one reason that this is like your experience of touring and my experience of touring is is different. One reason is like that a a reality and also a perception around safety yes. totally different for the two of us. Like you know, taking a fucking cab somewhere at a late mm-hmm. night hour to show up with somebody I don't know or, like, invite somebody back to my blah, 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 whatever. It's just, like, sure, there could be a situation you find yourself in this dangerous, but, like, you weren't you weren't cultured to, you know, worry about what's behind every door in terms of that. Yeah. That little kid thing you're talking about, but there's a different thing going on. So, anyway, my point is, then I was realizing that, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, you're a queer person who maybe, like, That's just a very interesting thing that you're talking about, that, like, fear that, you know, so many queer people have of, like, oh, what's going to happen if somebody notices me and am I safe in this moment, coupled with, like, happening to exist in a form that other people fear. Like, that is such such an interesting combo. And, like, honestly, I I feel the most comfortable in a pair of basketball shorts and a t-shirt. You know what I mean? In a baseball cap, like that feels yeah. so much like me. So I don't even think. And then like I had a friend come to town who stays with me who like, you know, wears uh, arguably much more queer looking clothing. And I don't think I we look at each other. I'm like, you look great. They're like, you look great. And I'm like, great, let's go out. And I don't realize that, you know, what I'm giving off into the world. And I literally will like look at an outfit that is. I kid you not, a t-shirt, basketball shorts, socks, t-shirt, shoes, and a hat. And I'm like, I look pretty gay today. And it's like, <laughs> no, I. but I feel that's how I feel, you know? I will, I mean, I don't know if this, this is, that's also how I see you. Like, yeah. I see you in that outfit and I'm like, yeah. looks gay. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> but it's, I love that. it's no, I, I'm realizing that that might be skewed. We talk about this on my on my podcast a lot because um, we we have a segment called Fuck Talk where we tell wild sex stories because they're often very wild. We have people call in to the show and share their stories. And something we started like two two years ago, fairly early on, is the stories were insane, like insane. And we're like, why do we always stay? Like, we always stay for the dick. Like, I remember specifically this guy called in and was like, yeah, I went to this hotel. I met, the, you know, we messaged on Craigslist. I went to the hotel. We got there. There was a samurai sword on the bed that, like, just like, so, it was like red flag after red flag. And he was like, but I stayed and the sex was good. And then I left. And it is, it is 100%, you know, in this, like, cis male identity of, like, feeling more safe in the world to like push that boundary and be like, 
maybe he's just a weirdo, but the dick is good, which is crazy. It is. I mean, it's crazy. It's as crazy as it. I mean, it's like, you know, there's a couple different things going. Of course, it's like, of course, it's not like you exist in a complete bubble of safety, but like there are real statistics that are different. And then, I mean, I just always think about how like the statistics are different, but then also Law and Order SVU is the longest running scripted non-animated television show. Like there has not been a show on TV longer. So it's like the statistics are there, but then also the cover, the way that we shape our brains Uh is different too. So it's like, this, there's a reality in this, but then we also watch it. We watch it in entertainment. I was just, I mean, the number of shows where like uh, a woman is sexually assaulted and it's like just a plot point. Oh, yeah. You know, that's just like part of. Like, and they're then, in the, then they're later, in the they room. also went to the store. And you're like, this is... They're in the I room, mean, and they're like, what would be good for her character development? Exactly. Oh, sexual assault, sexual assault. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I do think that, like, you know, because I, I, I have to think that some of this is... I mean, I know there's also stuff like the biological drive to, like, have children and stay home is different. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to think this also... Look... I'm just saying that I love Mariska Hargitay. I think she's an incredible actor. Who doesn't? And she seems like a nice person off screen. She may also have contributed to the number of (laughs) lesbian bars that exist. And it's not, I don't, I want her to make all that money and I do watch the show and I want it to continue to exist. It just might be part of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. It's an interesting, it's, it's complicated. Like having a queer, being a queer person is a complicated identity to walk around with. Okay, here's a final question before we get you out of here. Okay. Do you consider yourself a sex symbol? I don't consider myself a sex symbol, but I'm aware that people do. We spent a, you know, we a lot of the conversation today, we sort of hit on people recognize me and I get to tour for this and I've been doing this forever and this is how I work and I'm a professional, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, I'm like a little blip in the entertainment world. Like I have a niche audience. I'm really thrilled. I'm so grateful that I came up with some ideas, put those out into the world. And that has led me to like make money and travel. That is cool. And a lot of people aren't able to do that, but I am not very well known. And I think that that idea of sex symbol is like, you know, I would have liked to have gone an hour without bringing up a Kardashian, but you know, when you shape the way that other people then present themselves in the world, that to me is like sex symbol. Like Marilyn Monroe is a sex symbol and people emulated that look forever. Kim Kardashian has grown to this notoriety. People do her their makeup. They change their bodies, you know, that kind of thing. People all want to look like Brad Pitt. They all want to look like... I think that I am sexy. I think that people find me sexy. I would not consider myself a sex symbol. That's my convoluted answer. I think it's a good answer, but I mean, agree to disagree. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Agree to disagree. That's what discourse is all about. Yeah. So before I send you back into your day, I always have guests shout out a queero. Would you shout out a queero? It's a person, place, or thing that made you feel that you could be who you are today. Oh, my God. Okay. This just popped into my head. This is a thing. The, awesome. the original television show, Queer as Folk. Awesome. Because I would walk up like six blocks to Central Street in Evanston and go to a video adventure. And I would rent the episodes on VHS when I was like in middle school. 
And what I liked about that show is that it had so much joy. First of all, it had no body representation of anyone that looked like me. But certainly, <laughs> but certainly, um, what it did is it like showed me a lot of different queer identities. It showed me the hardships and the joys. And it was just like, I liked that it didn't always take itself seriously. Like it hit, it had like a lot of drama points. And obviously there was conversation about like HIV and meth and like all of the, the sort of, you know, the, the things that plague our community. But I just liked that there was a lot of joy there. And it really shaped a lot of how I thought about the future for myself. And I've watched the new one and the new one is really, really cool. And I'm so happy they didn't try to like remake the old one. They just like used the premise and the title. Yeah. Number one, absolutely. Number Okay. Here's what I'll say about the original Queer as Folk. And I don't always talk about everybody's queerness, but like this is (laughs) number one. The lesbian characters are so hilariously yes like just the worst complainers they're so pissed all the time it's it is it is a bit of a chef's kiss how how like like mired in pain and drudgery the lesbian characters yes i love it sweaters mugs of tea so much nipple action and all the sex scenes so angry at everyone all the time okay number one that's great Number two, and I've said this on the podcast before, sec, uh, Queer's Focus, how I found out that two people with penises could have sex facing each other. Yes. Same. <laughs> Cameron, same. I kid you not, same. In- I was in- like, incredibly important. What are they doing? Wait, what? He- oh. 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 All right, yeah. I literally thought it was doggy or nothing. Exactly, yeah. And then this is the third one. Um I brought my mom to the premiere of the new one, which was really cool. She was in town. And, you know, that show is also the first depiction that I ever saw of a parent being involved in a gay child's life. Yes. And it was so cool that I got to bring my mom as my date to the premiere of the new one because that that really is a huge part of that show for me. And Armand, who plays the queen, who sort of like runs the drag school, yeah. Is from Chicago. And like, I, we did some theater together back in the day. Oh, I, I know that person. Oh, They're amazing. So yeah. Sweetheart. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, Very cool. Anyway, well, you're a pledge. See you in the airport. Likewise. Or on, yes. or like on a poster taped to the side of something that I'm walking <laughs> past. Yeah. I'm so happy that you are getting the love that you deserve. Thank out you. Out there in the world. I appreciate folks. that. And uh, yeah. thanks for having me on. Yeah. 